The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, it is party time here at Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Hello, all you wonderful people. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we are the Stella Donut Goddess Gals, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, here with you every week being your personal growth success coaches bringing you authors, experts, and everyday advice and things that are happening in the world that we think you really need to know about. We're a show about following your heart, living your dreams, doing what you love. It is brought to under the auspices of Be the Star You Are Literacy Charity, empowering women, families, and youth. It's produced by Star Style Productions. Today's show, Heather and I are looking at identity theft from two areas that we tend not to consider as being dangerous, copy machines and medical facilities. And if you live in a high-rise, a condo, or you have limited outdoor space, you're going to enjoy the second segment when I present Container Gardening 101, where you're going to learn simple strategies to have a glorious potted garden. And in our final segment, author Dan Brown returns with his compelling retelling of the tragic history of the Donner Party with his newest book, The Indifferent Stars Above, so another great show. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions. If you need a professional writer for any of your business or personal needs, call 925-377-7827 for a quote, and we'll get your message into powerful prose. This Miracle Moment is from Lasso. Life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them that only create sorrow. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. Isn't that true? Fantastic. You can't push the river. You have to let it flow. Well, Heather, before we start talking about identity theft and the dangers that are lurking in the digital time bomb of copy machines, and the prescription for disaster in your doctor's office. I just wanted to mention something because I don't know if I sent this to you, but uh, today we received an email at Be The Star You Are charity from Karen Kitchell, who is the president of Cheerful Givers, uh, which is a um, nonprofit helping kids have birthday bags, and we've been, uh, we have been a big donor to them over the years, giving them lots of books for their bags. But anyway, she sent this great email saying that Be the Star You Are was profiled under Guide Stars Women Empowerment Campaign 2010 oh, as one of the great nonprofits. 
I got to forward this to you. I am so excited. So, um, so for all of you, please take a look at uh, our Facebook page or go to twitter.com and you can see it. But it's really great. It's, um, it just, it, GuideStar, as most of you may know, is the, the leading, um, I don't want to say disciplinary site, but it's more of a place that you go if you want to find out if charities or nonprofits are for real. And they are sponsoring this uh, Women's Empowerment Campaign t- 2010 and trying to find the greatest nonprofits out there that are working to empower women. And we have been chosen. So it Great. says, that, uh, yeah, it says, Be the Star You Are in Moraga is dedicated to helping women, families, and youth discover their passion, learn their skills, gain effective conflict management skills, build self-esteem through increased literacy and positive programs, and it's a small grassroots charity that delivers big-time results. So I was so really ha- uh, proud of that. It also goes on to say that almost all of the charity's volunteers are teenagers who are gaining leadership skills when they give of their time and energy to fulfilling the mission. So for all of you, Read, Lead, Succeed is our mission, and we hope you'll get involved. And you know what we really need most is a donation. Please consider going to bethestarur.org, clicking on Donate, and any amount helps. It, we're going into our 11th year, but we're celebrating our 10th anniversary all year this year, and we're suggesting $10 for 10 years. Go to be the star you are org. Okay, I had to get that out there. I was so excited, Heather. <laughs> so let's get into how we want to help you today to not become a victim of identity theft in ways that you have, have no idea that you are unprotected. So would you actually believe that a copy machine has a hard drive that's similar to what you have in your computer? Most people assume that when you put a document into a copy machine, a Xerox machine, that the scan is just transferred to your copy paper, and then you take out your paper and you go away and you're fine. That is not so. There are terrible ramifications. What a copy machine does is it makes digital copies of every scan until the very end of its life, and that means that every time you copy your passport, your Social Security card, your medical records, a private letter, whatever, there is a copy that is kept in a file on the machine. The machines get sold, the data remains, and what's happening now, more and more thieves are buying these machines for as little as $300, and they are harvesting millions and millions of dollars worth of um, identity and people's bank accounts. CBS did an um, investigation, and so I know, Heather, let's talk about that a little bit and how we can protect ourselves. Yeah, well, exactly. In today's society, you see all over the news about identity theft you know, via credit cards or submitting things online. So we all know the things about you know creating a, a powerful uh, um, password for online things and not giving out your Social Security but it's so fascinating, as you're saying, to realize sometimes there's things that we're not even aware of um, that other people have access to. Just when you know you're at, you're making a copy of something at work, or even even more dangerous is if you're making a copy at the local kinkos or or a library, a local you know a public place. Um, because as you said, many copiers last from anywhere to about five to seven years, and they contain these hard drives on them, and these store um, these files uncrypted until the hard drive becomes full, and then they need to replace it with a new one. 
And some experts claim that they're never overwritten. So when they, as you said, when they get sold off to some place of them, you know, it's not as good anymore, that more people have access to it. So it's not, you know, uh, someone, it's as simple as, you know, they could just open it up. It isn't really even that they have to hack in or know any special passwords. And think of how many times at work, you know, you've used, the copy machine to make photocopies of you know, your passport or anything uh, pertaining to a heavy ID. Um, well, even at checks, I was thinking about how when I cash a check or when the charity gets a check, we always make, have the bank make a copy of it. Those bank, are, those statements, are, they're, those copies are being copied as well. Exactly. So it's, no, it's not any public, any public, any public place. place at it's all. Basically, if you think about it, what a copier is in a sense is that it's taking a picture of an of an item and then uh, putting it on a piece of paper for you. So think about now that picture is forever t- is sitting in there. So it's just kind of like a roll of film, like and it's just printing out. And it's basically a copier is a Polaroid camera, and it's storing the photos in there of everything. You know, all these important documents. So I just had five quick little things of ways that you can um, help protect yourself with this. Oh, good, uh, whether, good, because that's what um, we need. We want to give the tips out. Exactly. Whether it's in your office or um, home office, make sure your data modem and your fax modem are different. Um, doing this prevents someone from them being able to take the information stored in the copier easily and um, makes it unable to transmit. So, what, so do you, what do you mean by that, the data and your facts being Well, different? your photocopier um, is often uh, connected to a fax modem. Oh. I know at home I have, I have one of those all-in-one machines, and even at my work we have one where it has the capability to fax items as well as, um, you know, as, well as make a, a copy of them. So make sure if it's in the same machine that they're hooked up to different, you know, different phone lines in a sense. Um, and because the you know the kind of again the more harder you make it for someone, um, the more difficult it is to steal the identity. Also, purchase an overwriting and an encryption component for your copier. Um, whether again home office or office, if your office uses a copier that's more than a year old, um, you should check online to see if the component of it is an encrypted kit. Um, just as you said, you know you just you never know. Um, who to trust these days and who is in the office. And there's some, a lot of times, you know, there's different work people coming through or even someone could pose as trying to be a, a copy machine fixer. So just make sure you have that kind of safeware data um, on your fax machine. Um, also, don't use, uh, don't use public copy machines for sensitive information. I think we've all done this, you know, going either going to the library or doing it at school. Finding things, you know, it's a cheap way to, you know, just you're making photo photocopies, you know, of your ID or for your traveling. Don't do that because, again, they're less likely to have these encryption protection programs. You, you know, you- I wanted to just piggyback on that when you're saying that because for years I always just would go to a copy place and make copies until I got a printer for the computer that will actually make copies or mm-hmm. you can scan it and do it yourself and that is a much safer way because I know most uh, travel experts will say always make copies of your passport, your social security, your birth certificate, your um, driver's license, not even travel experts, they're just experts on any kind of theft and keep them in a safe place. So you, what you're saying is, don't make these at any place that's public. Yeah, exactly. Is that you know, don't do, we've all done it before, you know, out of convenience. And that actually, what you just said brought me to my next thing. As I was talking before, is at home, my 
Um, my printer for my computer is one of these all-in-one. It's a fax machine. It's a photocopier. It's a scanner. And it's a printer. And think of all those different costs. But it, and it was fairly, you know, with today's technology, things coming out, I think it was only about $100, probably even less. Um, and if that is so worth it, it's all those different great components. Um, what a deal. But also, it's protecting your identity. It's so much safer to do this at home. Um, you know, so why why take that risk of doing something like this in a public place? Um, just get all the capability at home. And as I said, they make these things fairly inexpensive now that have all these different capabilities. So you don't even have to worry about it being at a, at a work um, situation where, you know, someone at work or something could get taken from there as well. So just invest in one of those. Um, and that way you can you know that something in your own home is the only thing that has um, a memorable trace of everything. Yeah, really good point. Now, uh, are there any more points for that? Because I want to No, and I know you wanted to get on with um, medical records. I want to talk about medical records because this is something that truly is a prescription for disaster. And people don't realize when you go to any medical doctor, for any an intern or whatever, or you go to a hospital, and you have to give a lot of information. You do give your social security number. You do mm-hmm. give your birth date, your address, who's responsible, your insurance, etc. And what happens to those records? Unless doctors shred them, they sometimes get tossed in the trash or just like we were talking about the copy machines, uh, there are people that are actually stealing these medical records, maybe it's to get health coverage and they pretend to be somebody, but we have to be really careful. It can cost more than $20,000 out of pocket to resolve a case of medical identity theft. And this is a really, really scary thing. There was um, a 2010 identity fraud survey report that found that medical identity theft has more than doubled since 2008. So there are more than a million Americans who are victimized just in this past year by other people getting their medical records. Did you want to talk a little bit about yeah, this? Well, I, I know give some us, tips on here how to in California, yourself. the laws are incredibly strict. And uh, for me personally, working in a medical field, we there's a thing called HIPAA violations. Um, that's anything that you know, discussing people's charts. But with us, the new move in California is that we're switching to electronic medical records, which um, some people fear because they're afraid um, that people can hack into these. These um, systems are incredibly, incredibly um, powerful and strong. That you know, they're CIA kind of type things. They're really difficult. As of now, there have not been any um, you know break-ins for it, and it's an offline situation. It's just within the medical areas. Um, there's also a protocol that all medical people should face that when um, purging a chart, when a patient, you know, has not been seen um, within a clinic, for us, we, it's 18, after 18 months, if a patient has not returned, we have to purge their chart. By purging their chart, it means um, we have, we go through a special company that comes, we, we box everything up, they take these boxes full of charts, and they sit in this warehouse, um, I believe, for about 10 years or so um, before then they are finally uh, destroyed. But um, it has to go through that whole process because if in the next 10 years this patient shows up and wants a medical release, they have to be able to go back and access it. Um, so there's strict things to make sure. Uh, and if anyone, you know, that, that's medical malpractice for someone to be throwing out um, someone's chart. 
here with us, any information of the patient's name, birthday, everything goes into a shredder instantly, um, any materials that are not being used um, for um, that day for that patient. So there's so many things. Just make sure, you know, if you, you're using a trusted facility, that's why, you know, if you're going to, you know, getting your medical services through in an area or a place you're really not sure of, Make sure you have your information because, you know, more trusted names of, of higher-up medical name, um, you can feel more sure that they're going to follow uh, certain medical protocols. Um, so just make sure, you know, check out the area, look into something to find out if there's ever been any lawsuits or ever been anything against that. And I just want to give a couple of quick tips before we go into our next segment of how to protect yourself, and that is, as Heather was saying, is um, to really talk to your healthcare care professionals and you want to make sure that they are up to speed as far as protections. Second is urge your healthcare professionals to ask for uh, patients' photo IDs so that somebody can't use your insurance card and then bill you thousands of dollars on insurance fraud. Ask your doctors to make copies of everything in your medical file. It may cost you something, and then you take those so that if somebody else tries to get into your files by using um, fake ID, that you'll be able to have some recourse. Also, every, every time you get a letter in the mail, uh, whether it be from an insurer or, um, or from a hospital or a doctor, even if it says this is not a bill, make sure to check it out, that it really is you that uh, have this, this procedure. And then ask for a list of benefits paid in your name because you want to monitor that. And lastly is always check your annual credit report. So avoid Internet and storefront offers of any free treatment and supplies. And just be safe because, you know, the life you save is your own. So, Heather, would you give out the website? No, definitely. We want you to go to BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.com, MySpace.com, forward slash Clutches, both with a K. Okay, and be here with us, both of us, next week because we're going to be talking about women in depression and how to beat the blues. But when I return from break, we're going into the garden for a lesson on Containers 101. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And this is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Are you familiar with email etiquette? It, email has become so prevalent and powerful in our society today that it's tempting to use it for all occasions, but it's not always the wisest choice for communication. Here are a couple of guidelines for minding your E's and Q's on the Internet. You don't want to forward chain letters unless you really know who the recipient is. That's the same goes for jokes or cluttering notes unless you have an agreement with the person who's going to receive it. Most people are really busy. They get angry and frustrated with the bombardment of unnecessary email. I know I'm one of those. I don't appreciate jokes or forwarded, um, forwarded funny things or chain mail. When you have a long letter to write, do it the old-fashioned way by using your local postal service. 
When you're looking for an immediate response, it's better to pick up the phone. People aren't always checking their email, and maybe they don't text, so you don't want to just text and assume that they are. If the information is confidential or personal, you're really taking a risk by sending it over the Internet where it can be hacked into and viewed by millions. Try to keep it short and simple and to the point. Again, people are getting more and more emails every day. And when you're angry, don't fire off a mean email. Those could be forwarded around the world. You'll end up more sorry than you ever were. And the note will be forgotten in the first place. In cyberspace, there is no privacy. Make sure whatever you write in that email space is not delicate or sensitive material. Be courteous, professional, kind, and most importantly, cautious. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite for Star Style. When you need help with writing, acting, speaking, or business etiquette, call 925-377-7827 for professional advice and coaching. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax-deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, thanks for staying with me. I am Cynthia Bryan, and you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk and to listen, and hopefully we all want to communicate. Well, it's already mid-May, and I am just getting my vegetable garden planted. The weather here in Northern California has been really rainy and cold off and on, really a different kind of springtime. The soil wasn't warm enough to plant. So this morning I went out into the garden. I dug up my new red potatoes. I harvested a variety of lettuces, mustards, and greens, which I'm going to prepare tonight with some artichokes that I'm going to go cut fresh after this radio show. But usually by this time of year, I've got my patio furniture out. My plants in my containers are all potted, and they're usually bursting with color And usually we're sitting out, but not this year. As most of you know, not only am I an avid gardener, I'm also a garden writer, a speaker, and a consultant. And one of the biggest questions I get is how to make a small space shine. Now, did you know that some of the most spectacular gardens found anywhere are on rooftops and patios of the world's largest cities? So you don't really need to have several acres like I tend to to have a terrific garden. 
Today's condominium owners and apartment dwellers don't have to forsake gardening at all. In fact, they can create their own garden hideaway in whatever small space they have. So in this segment, I'm calling it Container 101, as I want to show you how to garden in small spaces with small places by planting in containers. You'll need to choose your plants carefully, of course. You'll probably want to grow some things up on trellises instead of out. You can hang plants from anything that's overhead. And most of all, you're just going to have to be bold and brave and take that first step. So here are a few strategies if you have small spaces and you want to grow things. Containers. Uh, People can grow things in any kind of custom-made pottery. You can do it in, in terracotta to antique bathtubs. You can have just regular pots to wooden planters. Or you can have broken teacups. What I'm saying when I call it a container, it's anything that appeals to you. I actually save anything that can hold dirt or water, including cowboy boots, tennis shoes, uh, old mugs, any cooking utensils that I think are interesting. If they have a hole in the bottom, you don't want to block them, but you can uh, put like some of those uh, packing pellets or a section of a window screen at the bottom so the soil doesn't leak out. You can put big plants on platforms with casters or so that you can roll them around to redecorate either inside or outside. And especially if you live in a climate where it has a cold winter and you perhaps are wanting to plant uh, a citrus tree like a Meyer lemon does really well in a container, as do dwarf oranges. But in some areas, they're not going to overwinter outside because they would freeze. So you may want to roll them inside. Plus, you'll get all the great fragrance of the blossoms when you do that. So you may want to consider putting casters on things. I have used little red flyer wagons just to actually put pots in and roll around or to put those on a balcony, and it looks absolutely terrific. Hanging baskets. Some of the most dramatic hanging planters are in wire baskets. You can line them with moss. You can fill them with a growing medium and then plant whatever you like in there. What they do is they allow you to plant over the entire basket surface, surface, including the bottom, when you fill it with the moss. And you can push the plants up through the moss into that growing medium. So that way, if you've ever seen those looks of kind of a big ball of planting, that is a hanging basket with um, the growing medium inside. Now, if you're working with containers, you're going to want to actually buy a soil mix. Of course, if you live in a city, you're not going to just be able to go out and dig the dirt. I'll never forget the first time I went to New York City when I was uh, 18, and I'd been on the farm where we had 365 acres of dirt, and I couldn't believe that a sack of dirt, it was actually called dirt, it was five pounds, sold for $5 in New York City. I got on the phone. I called my dad. I told him, Dad, we could be rich. Let's just start packing up the ranch and selling it in five pounds of dirt. And, you know, we had a big chuckle about it. Of course, we never did anything about it. It would have been a smart idea. But as you probably know, most potting soil has a little bit more in it than just dirt. It usually is a combination of some peat moss, some um, some some sand, and it might even have some fertilizers in it. But buy a big bag. You'll need to soak the soil thoroughly before you plant. It can be messy. So if you're doing this, either put some plastic out on your deck or your patio or your balcony 
or your windowsill, or at least be in a spot that's not going to uh, get ruined, like on a rug, and then fill your containers with a good quality soil mixture. Now, what do you want to plant in there? Let's start with talking about annuals. If you want long blooming periods, you can look for annuals that are short instead of tall, since tall plants need more staking, and that can usually be a little bit more difficult for containers. So you want to just pick up some annuals, and what an annual means is it only blooms once. When it dies, it dies. Sometimes it will recede, but usually it's just for that particular season. For example, people will plant petunias or zinnias, uh, or impatience, and those are all considered annuals, and they're very colorful. Bulbs, one of my absolute favorite things to plant, and I actually put these in my dirt and then just forget about them and leave them. I never take them out because they can just enhance whatever annuals or perennials or trees or herbs or grasses that you do. They, you, you just stick whatever bulbs that you want into the dirt and the number of inches down one or two inches, and then just let them do their things. If you want to force them to blossom, you can do that, and a lot of times you'll want to set the the bulbs in a soilless mix, almost touching each other, and maybe even put them in water, and then you put them in a dark, cool place until the growth appears. It takes about eight weeks. Then you set them in the sun, and they'll grow, and they'll blossom. I, I don't usually force my bulbs because I just let them come up on their own and surprise me. But by sticking a few bulbs in any of your container pots, you will get some blooms in the winter. Some bulbs that you may want to plant would be tulips, daffodils, Dutch iris, uh, crocus. And just about when you're ready to give up in, with the winter blues in February or March, they will force themselves to the top of your pots and you'll have a little bit of color, which is always nice. Now, perennials are great in containers, and you can move them in and out of the house. You can mix, as I said, the bulbs and the annuals and the perennials. And in this way, a perennial is something that comes back year after year because perennials are able to store food. Some perennials that I like a lot are begonias. I have found had great luck with uh, snapdragons. And I think that they're great. Lavender is a perennial that tends, especially in California, to be blooming literally year-round. And it just seems to get bigger and bigger. You get a lot of bees that are visiting it. You get wonderful fragrance. And, of course, you get the pretty blue-lavender colors of the blossoms. And it doesn't take much water. So it's a great container plant if you'd like um, something that's easy. Uh, herbs, vegetables, shrubs, citrus fruit, all of these can be done in containers. You really want to check the seed catalogs or a planting catalog for your area, what's going to be the best. But I can tell you what I just did this week is I planted in containers a special variety of, it's called a pink tomato, and it's made specifically for containers. I filled the container with uh, dill and cilantro and parsley, basil, and tomatoes. So I figure that I have kind of a little salad right there in one container. But I don't limit my containers to just vegetables. I like to add color as well. So in that, I have a baby, uh, baby roses. And I also have bulbs that have already bloomed. And I had freesias in there that now they'll just come back next year, and they'll bloom again. And then I put a scented geranium because 
not only did I get the blossoms, but geraniums are actually good to put in your salads or to cook with them. I also like to add pansies, which is another edible, an edible flower. If you uh, like uh, nasturtiums, those colors are, they come in orange and yellow and pinks and reds and whites, and they tend to spill over the containers. I think they're quite pretty. They can also grow up a trellis if you want to do that. I put those in there as well. They're also another edible plant. So you can think about uh, doing you know, some herbs and some vegetables and some flowers together. Now, watering, you do have to keep your eye on the container garden because it dries out really quickly, especially in hot weather. Container gardens, you know, don't maintain their moisture like they would in just a regular garden because they are porous for the most part. It's another good reason why what you may want to do is put a a porous pot inside of a container, which would help retain some of the moisture just a little bit better. Or you could put uh, a plastic pot, plastic inside of a pretty container, and plastic will retain it a little bit uh, longer. Fertilizing. What is really important to remember when you're doing container gardening is that fertilizers wash out of containers faster than they do out of garden soil because you've got the hole at the bottom and there's nowhere to go. Now, if you have a hole at the bottom, definitely have a saucer. Have something under that container that will catch any extra water or year. If you have neighbors below you, they won't like the drip, drip, drip. And if you're on a bottom floor, you'll still get kind of a mess. So you don't want to have that happen. On that same note, if you are planting into a container that has no drainage, you have to be extra careful that you don't drown your plants. So I usually would fill that container with some gravel rocks at the bottom. Uh, I do usually a layer of sand. Or, as I was saying earlier, those little packing pellets that you get when you get something shipped to you, those are great to save and use in pots. They also keep the snails away because snails don't like to climb over them. And they're, but they're great for, for drainage. So if you are in a pot that does not have a hole in the bottom, do not water it too much or you will drown your plants. And as your plants grow, they will fill your pot with their roots, especially the perennials. And if the root, if you, if your pot gets root bound, the plants will get stunted. So from time to time, you are going to have to remove them, put in some new soil, perhaps divide your perennials, and then replant. Of course, it's always fun to have more plants than what you need, and you can always give them away. So that's really a rather exciting thing to do. Now, um, I also want you to use your imagination when you are planting. Because it, you can use, uh, as I was saying about planting things, it doesn't matter if it's a watering can or an old aquarium or a, a wagon or any kind of treasure. It's whatever piques your imagination with shape, color, size, and texture. But it, the containers just need to be able to fit into your space. Climate is important. Remember that if your container garden is on a balcony or a, or a deck, it's going to be subjected to temperature extremes that the rest of your garden, if you have a regular garden, isn't going to experience. And the roots are above ground level, so they do suffer more heat stress. So in hot spots, you would like to use lighter colored containers instead of like a dark black or a brown because 
the browns and blacks are going to absorb more heat. So keep some of that in mind when you are planting. Um, in moving them around, one of the great things about planting in containers is that you can move things around. And if you are, have a roof garden, for example, you might be able to put it on a different balcony or a different patio. And so you can actually vary your decor by moving your plants around. That's a fun thing to do. If you're considering planting vegetables, a few things that really do well in containers, besides the herbs that I mentioned, is you could plant cherry, tomato, uh, cherry tomatoes, you could plant carrots, uh, beets do well, radishes do well, and of course the, um, uh, the herbs of all kinds are always fantastic in a commercial and a container garden. So just remember, the sky is the limit, and since many of you are in small spaces, just scout for containers that are going to be great for you. Go to your local nursery or garden center and find grasses, herbs, plants, perennials, annuals that pique your interest and give it a try. As I always say, there is only a fertilizer in the garden. Failure is fertilizer, so there is no mistakes. When we come back from break, we are taking a detour and we are going into the Sierra Nevadas and we're going to be talking about the Donner Party when author Daniel Brown visits us again with his newest book, The Indifferent Stars Above. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. I'll be back in just a bit, and don't you dare go away. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the star you are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Survivor, well, you've all watched at least one episode of the reality show over the years, but those modern-day machos couldn't match the fortitude of the pioneers of the West. Much has been written about the endurance as well as the barracks of the Donner Party. Author Dan Brown retells this compelling saga with a personal connection. Dan was on the program before with his acclaimed book, A Favorite of Mine, Under a Flaming Sky, The Great Hinkley Fire of 1894. His newest book is The Indifferent Stars Above, The Harrowing Saga of a Donner Party Bride. Welcome back, Dan, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Hi, Cynthia. It's great to have you back on, and what another compelling book you have written. As a history major, I... Uh, I have a, I love anything that's historical, and you have a flair for getting the personalized stories behind the history, and I really appreciate that so much. You really intrigue me. So in the Indifferent Stars Above, the harrowing saga of a Donner Party, bride, Donner Party Bride, you actually have a, a family relation to Sarah through your father's uncle. Tell us a little bit about how you decided to communicate with the Bones to get this story into your head and out to all of us. Sure, yeah. Um, my great-great-uncle, a guy named uh, Reason Penelope Tucker, was actually uh, the fellow who led the first uh, rescue party up into the Sierra Nevada in the spring of 1847 to try to get the survivors of the Donner Party down out of the mountains. And so I grew up with... Uh, sort of a feeling that I was connected to the story. And uh, because of that, I've been in correspondence over the years with a number of uh, descendants of survivors. And um, I started emailing a woman in Oregon who, um, whose great-grandmother uh, was a young woman named uh, Sarah Graves. And she sent me a picture of her great-grandmother as a young woman. And uh, I took one look at that picture, and I decided I really had to know more about what she had been through. I already knew that she had been one of the people who had had to resort uh, to cannibalism, and I knew that she had uh, attempted to hike out of the mountains, but that was about all I knew when I started. So I did a lot of research, and I wound up focusing my book on, on her incredible story. Well, let's talk about the cannibalism of, of the Donner Party, it, because in light of there was this new release out that really confused the Donner Party with the Donner family. And, you know, it, it, although it was retracted, it didn't get much play there. Tell us uh, really what went on, because you go into depth in it here, but uh, in my opinion, the whole idea was a, it was about survival, and it wasn't about cannibalism. But Yeah, um, one, of the, one of the principal objectives I had when I set out to write this book is I, I see it as a survival story. I, I mean, see it as that were, as well. I think like 84 people went into the mountains, and 47 of them died, but you know, another 40 people, roughly, survived. And I, I, I just think survival is always more interesting in the long run than dying. Uh, the cannibalism thing, unfortunately, there was a story came out a couple weeks ago that was uh, later retracted. 
um, based on some archaeology. And what happened was a press release confused the Donner Party with the Donner family and said that there had been no cannibalism. In fact, there was. We have massive documentary evidence of cannibalism in, in other parts of the Donner Party. So, um, so that was unfortunate. It's also unfortunate because it put the, in the media, it put the whole focus back on the cannibalism thing again. And as I say, I think I, that's obviously that's interesting, but I think ultimately the heart of the story is, is really about hope and survival. Well, you know, in talking about the cannibalism, the reality was is that didn't happen until very, very late in the winter when there were there was no options, and except for the one instance uh, that you've documented where they they killed the party killed two of the uh, was it the Miwok Indians? They were yes, two that's right. two Indians that were, had been guides, and they actually did kill them to eat them. Right. Um, other than that, what they were doing is when a person died of either the weather or starvation, that's when they decided to um, that this was their only way to survive. I found something very interesting, though, that you documented. When at one point it, the weather conditions had so weakened them, and what your hypotheses, or perhaps this is actually a fact, was that they were actually dying from hypothermia. They were actually going into those depths, and people were dying. And one of the men in the party said, we've got to draw straws because somebody's got to die so we can, you know, one person has to die so that we can eat the flesh, and then we will all at least have a chance of living. And he was the man that actually drew the straw that he would be killed, although no one killed him. They decided they didn't want to do that, but he actually went insane over this. Yeah, I think the mental stress was so <laughs> the consequence of having have, having had that fate awaiting him uh, just literally pushed him over the cliff. A number of people went over the edge mentally, and as part of what's interesting, part part of what I've tried to do in the book is sort of update the story by bringing a lot of modern science to bear on the story. And and one of those uh, areas I go into is the effects of stress on the body and the effects of PTSD after the ordeal. Um, the, the story uh, is, you know, over 150 years old now, and it, it really hasn't been updated that much by um, the kinds of, of research that have been done in a whole variety of different fields. But, yes, that poor fellow, uh, he, he, he wigged out. <laughs> but, but, you know, what I found, I, what I really appreciated that you brought a lot of scientific data to the story because it gave it such perspective. First of all, Dan, I don't think that any of us, today, well, maybe there's a few, would be strong enough to survive what they survived. Because, first of all, they started off three weeks later than what was advised to start off. They Instead of starting no later than May 1st, as what was advisable at the time, they started the middle of May, right? Probably yes. about this time in May. Mm-hmm. And then they took uh, Stuart Hastings who I wanted to ask you if there was any documentation that he was ever reprimanded in any way for writing something that was untrue and encouraging travelers to take this shortcut that really led to their demise. Yeah, Hastings had actually had a vested interest in diverting the flow of immigrants um, from Oregon to California. He had really, he'd gone to, into cahoots with John Sutter in the Sacramento area, and he needed to divert immigrants from the Oregon Trail to the California Trail. And he had, um, in a 
guidebook he had published, he had mentioned a shortcut that actually neither he nor anybody else had ever attempted to take. And uh, he rode out that spring and convinced a number of people, including the Donner Party, to, to take that shortcut. And when they attempted to do so, they became bogged down in the Wasatch Mountains and they lost additional time. And that's part of the reason that they arrived in the Sierra Nevada as late as they did and were, were caught by the, uh, by the snows that year. And it, it, according to your documentation and your research, it sounds like that happened to be 1846, one of the coldest winters um, on record that had happened in the Sierra Nevadas. In fact, uh, and the Wasatch Mountains, there had actually been snow until June. So yes, they uh, did uh, not uh, have the provisions. They were down to eating hot, you know, pieces of leather and hides and boiling bones and whatever they could find. Yeah, literally uh, the body anything can last you. you how how long without food? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, how long can the body last without food? Well, the, the body. You know, people actually. There's a, a great book called Hunger um, that documents cases of people who've gone uh, a month or more without food. Yeah, and uh, some have even got as much as a hundred days. Yes, but... exactly. Um, and so, part of what was interesting you were talking about earlier is that they, uh, when they started to die in the in the mountains. Uh, they thought they were dying of starvation, and that's that's one reason they resorted to cannibalism. But I think in many of the cases, what was actually happening was that people were dying of exposure and hyper, hyperthermia, which they had never heard of, of course. Um, but they didn't know that. They were extremely hungry because they were down at that point to, to boiling hides and, and chewing on them. So they were extremely hungry, but they weren't at the point where physiologically they should have been starving to death for the most part. So I think... I think they were a bit um, too hasty. Uh, but, you know, the other thing that really strikes me, Dan, though, is how um, how hardy they were. You make a point of the majority of the people who died were men. And we always think of men as being stronger and healthier and hardier. But the reality was is they were probably exerting a bit more. They were chopping the trees, having to do all that. And women have a little bit more fat on them because of bearing children, et cetera. But more women survived. Yes, in a very dramatic fashion. That was true overall in the Donner Party. And then um, my book focuses in large part on this party of 15 relatively young, healthy people who, who tried to hike out of the mountains to California to get help. And, and we're talking about the book, The Indifferent Stars Above, The Harrowing Saga of the Donner Party Bride. It's by uh, Daniel James Brown. It's, it really is a fantastic, fantastic book. It, so, yes, and you, that is a very, very interesting how they thought it was going to take six days to hike out, and it ended up taking them 18 days? It took them over 30 days. It took them 30 days. days. And the, the, as a result, 15 of them set off. And uh, all five of the women survived, but of the ten men, only two survived. And so it really go, the women really did out-survive the men at a tremendous rate relative uh, on gender. Well, and for anyone who has been to Truckee or Lake Tahoe or over the Donner Pass in that area, in winter, it is impassable by autos in modern day. It can be closed for, you know, days at a time. I can't even imagine being on horseback, on foot, on wagons, trying to go over these mountains where there was no road, uh, and that no compass, no way. I just can't even imagine their strength and their fortitude. Well, yeah, one of the things I did in researching the book was I, 
I traveled the route that Sarah did, and I, I arranged to be in the places she was at on particular. That's what I wanted to get to. You went everywhere from the beginning where they started in Missouri all the way on the trail. Yes, tell us about this journey because it was not comfortable in today's day. No, I mean, I had all the comforts of a car, and I stayed in motels, but I, I made a point of getting out and um, trying to experience uh, the environment that, that she experienced, that they experienced. For instance, in uh, Nebraska, I found a patch of, there's not a lot of prairie left in Nebraska, but uh, I found a preserved patch of prairie that's a park now. And I got out of the car and I walked through this prairie grass, and it was spectacularly beautiful. And the grass was up to my waist, and the birds were singing, and butterflies were drifting overhead. And so I gained an insight into how beautiful it was. But I also, when I got back to the motel that night, I discovered I had eight or nine ticks on me. And so that gave me an insight into the kind of, you know, daily little discomforts that they experienced. And well, in that light, I, I, in your book, uh, The Indifferent Stars Above, you also chronicle those kinds of hardships of the bed bugs, the ticks, the rattlesnakes. Um, they had to live with absolute filth and a lack of hygiene. Their, I'm sure their gums were bleeding and... You know, they didn't have, couldn't brush their teeth. It must have been incredibly uncomfortable. If they got a bath at all, it might be once a year. That had to be just horrid. And I imagine that's why so many of the babies died. Yeah, infant mortality was terrible. And, and they suffered all those kinds of extremities before they even got to the Sierra Nevada. And, of course, once they were there and snowed in, they were living in these fetid little cabins that were completely buried by snow. And so the hygienic conditions just spiraled down to an absolutely abysmal level. And so aside from the starvation, uh, the, the physical discomfort that they endured was, was absolutely incredible. And, and again, that's why, I mean, it's, in one sense, it's a story about how ghastly all this was. But, but the fact that so many of them prevailed and, and, and held it together and even did heroic things to help one another is really... Uh, all the and more I think compelling that when you realize how anything that was cannibalistic, and I'm sure it had to be devastating to find, you know, if you stop to think about it, to think, oh my gosh, my father's died and now I've eaten him, or my right. brother's died, or my husband, whatever that was in Sarah's case with her husband and her father dying. But at the same time, it kept them alive so they were able to get help to rescue the rest of the party. Exactly. And, I mean, the, the, the feat that Sarah accomplished, she was only 21 years old. Uh, she was one of the people that made it out. If you contemplate hiking from where Truckee now is over the crest of the Sierra Nevada in December and January in one of the harshest winters on record um, with nothing on her back except a couple of pounds of dried beef, um, it, it's just absolutely astonishing that anybody would have the courage to attempt that and the fortitude to actually survive it. And that, I, that, was my that was my impression as well. Is they, evidently, when they arrived, they were literally almost naked in rags and yes. bone thin, yet they kept going because they knew there were others depending on them. What do you know about the after effects? Because of the people that survived, Many of them lived until older age, so that I thought was impressive. Is that they lived through this, and then they actually lived a very full life after that. Yes, yeah, so, well, they were very tough people. 
to begin with, I suppose. But those who made it and those who made it through were particularly tough. Um, but many of them did live uh, very long and very successful lives in California. Um, I think it's also true when you read their letters uh, back home that it's pretty clear that some of them were suffering from the effects of post-traumatic Yeah, post-traumatic. Well, many of them never wanted to talk about anything that had happened to them. Right. And, of course, in those days, people tended not to talk about their problems anyway, mm-hmm. certainly psychological problems. But, but uh, Sarah's, two of Sarah's sisters in particular had a, had a very difficult time. The one, the one couldn't stop crying. Uh, Nancy, her little sister, was prone to sudden bursts of, of sobbing for the rest of her life. And her older, the, the next older sister, uh, Mary Ann, uh, as an old lady said, she wished she could cry if she could cry, she perhaps could. she could forget And that's that. definitely post-traumatic stress. Well, the book is really fantastic. I love the way you write. The name of the book is The Indifferent Stars Above, The Harrowing Saga of a Donner Party Bride. And it does follow Sarah and Jay, who are newly married, and what happens to them on this trek across the country through the Wild West uh, into this new world and what happens after. They are truly the survivor story. It's amazing. Dan, would you give out your website so people can find you and get more information about this book as, as well as, as I said, I really loved Under a Flaming Sky. The Hinkley Fire story it still resonates with me. Sure. So if you uh, could you give your read... website, be great. Sure. It's, uh, it's simple. It's simply danieljamesbrown.com and uh, you can read about both books there. The paperback of Indifferent Stars will be out uh, in about two weeks. Great. Well, right now it's the hardcover, but you'll be able to get the, the softcover soon. DanielJamesBrown.com. I highly recommend uh, both of his books. If you like history and you like a personal story on the side, you're a riveting writer, uh, Dan. I love it because you really pulled, you know, you pulled me in, and I love the fact that you actually traveled the steps that Sarah and the party took. It just gives it so much more depth and reality. So thank you again for coming back to visit us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks it's for... always a pleasure to have you, so please do keep in touch. Everyone go out and pick up a copy, The Indifferent Stars Above, The Harrowing Saga of a Donner Party Bride. You will never want to watch Survivor again. You'll know who the real survivors in life are. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan, and this is Star Style. Be the star you are. Thanks for being great listeners. And be here every week with us and Heather Brittany when we change your life and help you make your dreams come true. Visit the website, be the star you are.org. Make a donation. Keep the show on the air. If you need any coaching for writing, business, and presentations, visit Star Style productions.com go out to the day make it a great one and until we celebrate next week be the star you are i'm cynthia bryan thanking you we'll see you again thanks again for listening to star style be the star you are for more information about be the star you are nonprofit corporation please visit be the star you are.org that's be the star you are.org Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a seeker, a dreamer, courage to give every special part.